Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. We have news for you all. Yeah, we are so excited to share that as so many of you have asked for us to host more than just one week-long immersive experience, we are bringing another retreat into the fold this year. And this time we're headed to Nosara, Costa Rica, June 3rd through 10th. Yeah. We heard you. We heard you. We're doing more. We're trying. (laughs) This time, though, we're actually bringing in two of our dear friends and colleagues to come along with us and join the party. So we're going to have Ashley Torrent and Millie Murillo there. Um, And honestly, the four of us together, I don't know, our powers combined, drawing from our collective work in the healing modalities of psychotherapy, coaching, mediumship, astrology, somatic movement, group processing, all the things. We'll be supporting you all in reclaiming every aspect of the most fulfilling life you can possibly live. It's going to be such a transformational week. I'm so excited already. And if you are interested in learning more, you can go to the link in either of our social bios or head over to Vanessa's website at vanessabennett.com. And we have payment plans available for this one as well. Yeah, definitely hit me up on email if you want to know more about that. We are super excited and we hope to see you all there. I'm so excited to bring this guest back to you guys. This might end up being a series, y'all. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe we'll have a a quarterly Jeremiah episode. I feel like it's necessary for humanity. I'm down. But (laughs) before we get into that and the episode, um, Jeremiah Latimo has joined us before and is coming back for a part two in this episode, but... For those of you who didn't hear the first episode, first of all, please go listen to that um, because it was just so unbelievably wise and incredible that, you know, we got so much great feedback that we had to have him come back again. And he's sort of become a friend of both of ours and um, someone that we just love connecting with on all of the things that he speaks to in his work. But Jeremiah Latimo, just a little background on him, is a transformational coach who focuses on helping and equipping both men and women with the tools to break free from deep-rooted limiting beliefs and feel safe in their bodies again so that they can create radical, lasting changes in their lives and experience loving relationships that support the best versions of themselves. I'm trying to find the actual... Oh, episode 118. Oh, (laughs) I love how on that. top of it you are. You're like, they're going to need a reference to Lightning Fingers, episode 118, I mean, if you're interested. That's really impressive that you found them <laughs> that quickly. Wow, babe. Y'all, 
I just, I don't have enough words for this one. I just, um, mm. like I said, we'll do a series. I, there's just so much conversation here. And you know, another thing I think that's um, powerful about talking to Jeremiah is that as a woman, it feels, I don't know, on like a bigger level, it feels deeply healing. Healing. That's the word I was thinking too. To be in conversation with a man who so deeply gets it. Mm-hmm. And and holds both parties, men and women, without the judgment, right? But yeah. just there's something about a man looking you in the face with zero judgment, complete empathy, understanding, um, and just an understanding of what is really going on for women yeah. that is just so healing. So that is, I think, one of the number one reasons why I love talking to him and just listening to his content as much as I do. Yeah. The ability he has to hold um, just the depth of mm-hmm. what it is to be human for all of us and the way that he meets these conversations with so much um, compassion and invitation to inquiry. I just, I feel like I really do. And I have said this to him, feel like, well, it's, you know, he's he's channeling something that is clearly um, what I believe he was put on this earth to do in this moment in history, because he is supporting us and healing something that is just not working in a way that is not sustainable. And that's our relationships with one another. And to your point, he so can sort of zoom out and see what is happening, but also articulate it in such a potent way that is mm-hmm. healing. Oh, y'all are going to love this one. I already know it. Mm. I'm actually going to start by just quickly reiterating that before we started recording, I was explaining to these two what a one nine hundred operator was, because I sound like one, <laughs> and neither of them knew. So for any of our listeners out there who do know what a one nine hundred operator is, and don't make me feel old, you're welcome for my voice today. He has a long <laughs> history with one nine hundred operators. Apparently, you just think you know somebody. I'm completely new. Completely new. This is a new fact for me. I was today years old when I found out about one nine hundred operators. <laughs> oh my gosh well we are so excited to have our brother jeremiah latimo back in the house um i feel like jeremiah since you came on the first time i have gotten so many messages from people saying that that episode was mind-blowing their favorite they learned so much i've had male clients who i don't see anymore circle back to me and reach out and be like today this guy, Jeremiah, that episode you guys did with him on the podcast just blew my mind. And first of all, absolutely agree with all of them. Your work is just transformational. I learned so much from you constantly. I'm constantly messaging you, telling you to represent. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, thank you for coming back and joining us again to have another conversation, Jeremiah. Yeah, yeah. I'm so, so grateful and so excited to be here with you guys. I feel like... Um, for me personally, like in our last call, I felt like we really tapped into like the juicy pieces and kind of like we, I think we uncovered more of my personal story and kind of went into some deep stuff, kind of like, I feel like maybe towards the end of our call and I felt like we had just started. So it feels good for me. It feels like we're kind of maybe even possibly even picking up, um, you know, from our last call. So it really feels good. And um, it feels good to like feel a personal connection with both of you now um, since our last call. So thank you so much for bringing me back on. Thank you for coming on. Um, well, so, you know, Vanessa and I have, I think, a pretty deep connection with so much of what you speak to, because not only do you, I don't know, just do a really beautiful job of translating what's happening in the collective psyche around love and relationships and the challenges that we have trying to meet one another, but you, I find, speak to things um with a very Jungian and archetypal perspective. And um, as we talked about in our last time that we got together with you, Vanessa and I come from a depth psychology background. And so there's so much about the way that you are speaking to things and sort of translating things that I think is making these Jungian concepts really accessible, mm-hmm. digestible to us um, in our modern culture. Mm-hmm. And I really want to jump right in because there was an episode of your podcast and for those of you who don't already listen to Jeremiah's podcast, you will put it in the show notes. It's it's like my new favorite. Um, but there was an episode called Why 
Five Reasons All Men Should Be Celibate, I believe was the title of the podcast. Yeah, right. um, and I literally, like, as I was listening to it, I was like texting me. I was like, you must listen to this. <laughs> this it's true. It's true. Like, <laughs> such a game changer conversation. And I mean, so many elements of that episode that I wrote down notes. Um, but basically, you know, you talked about your celibacy journey and how you were celibate for almost two years and how that really changed your relationship, not only with yourself, but how you um, have the ability to meet other people. And here's what's interesting, not just people romantically, but I think in our relationships in general, a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. So here's what I want to ask you about, Jeremiah, because this is a conversation that Vanessa and I have constantly. Um, the extent to which... Well, I'm just going to jump into male sexual entitlement. And that's something mm. that you touch on in that episode. And, you know, there's been all of these like TikToks and conversations floating around like articles and in social media about women feeling like one, once you are in a partnership with someone, it's sort of like your body is like they have ownership of it. And like um, it's a need that you need to fill for for speaking heteronormatively um, the man in your life. Right. Mm -hmm. And that it can be really difficult to even feel like I can give my partner a hug without it being like an invitation for sex. And now we have mm -hmm. to like mm -hmm. have sex. So I love I'd love if you would just sort of touch on your ideas around like male sexual entitlement and what your celibacy journey taught you about that for some of our listeners. Yeah, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for the question. Um, it's such an important conversation. Like, my work is really focused around men creating safety for women and thriving in their relationships with women and just life in general. And a big part of that conversation that's usually left out just from my own personal experiences with being online, uh, listening to other male coaches and relationship coaches, this topic of the sexual entitlement that men have over women's bodies is usually left out of that conversation. And it's actually a huge part of a lot of different issues we have in our society that we, I don't think we need to dive into this conversation, but people can understand what I'm talking about when talking about sexual assault, when talking about rape culture, when talking about all of these other things that are a direct component of an entitlement that men somehow feel and believe is their own to claim in relationships. So there's this gradual progression into this entitlement. And I think it begins very early on when young boys are kind of encouraged to just pursue women, to not get an understanding of who women are, but to kind of like, okay, you're going to lose your virginity. Start dating somebody today. Like, you know, conquest. you're 13 years old. It's time conquest that pursuit, um, that conquering energy. There's this, there's an invitation to conquer a woman. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it's reflected in the language that men use as young boys, where it's like banged. I, you know, destroyed, I beat it up. I body count. Body counts, like, what are you, an assassin? <laughs> like, so, so it's like all of these words that actually communicate no sense of love and connection and reverence and devotion to the person that you just shared a very intimate and powerful experience with. So it's written in our language and in how we're encouraged to connect with women is from a place of they're going to do something for you, right? They're going to level up your respect from your father. They're going to level up the respect that you receive from other men. They're going to make your life easier. They're going to meet your needs. It's the conversation isn't like, who did you connect with? Tell me about her. What are her values? Like what's important to her? What about her makes you happy? And what about her like inspires you to grow as a man? That's not really what we talk about it from that place. And so that gradually leads us into this space where now we're adults and we continuously see women as objects that are created and designed to meet our emotional and sexual needs. Mm -hmm. And then especially if as a teen, as I became into an adulthood, I was consuming a lot of pornographic content. Mm -hmm. Like that's also going to wire something in me because the base of pornography is actually curated around the male gaze. It's not curated around the female gaze. It's curated around men's needs, like men's sexual needs and all of the categories, the scenes, the, 
the, you know, how the scenes are curated are actually to meet men's needs and what they want to see from the scenes. So that programs something in me if this is how I relate to the world, if this is how I've been trained to relate to women, and if this is the content that I actually consume in my own private time. It trains something in me where this person right in front of me, I don't see them as a human being. I do not. I see them as a thing, an object that is designed for me to contort, to use, to abuse, to my liking. That means I can change it too. Like whatever I have to do to kind of get it to work in the way that I want it to work, I can do that. So it's, I don't see the humanity in this person. I don't acknowledge, I can't even recognize it anymore. But it's from this gradual thing that I've been doing throughout my life that's just been kind of normalized because I'm a man and that comes with certain things that I normalize. So now we're in partnership with a person, right? And it sucks because even marital rape just was criminalized in 1993. Mm -hmm. Like that's not too long ago. That's like 20 years ago. But now you get into marriage. Now you get into partnerships and I put a ring on your finger. So now this means that I'm entitled to certain things. Mm -hmm. And this begins with like, I took you out on a date and I paid for your date. I'm entitled to certain things. Mm -hmm. Or I flew you out to my city to enjoy a good time with me. I'm entitled to certain things. Mm -hmm. And so this is supported, this idea, this framework of thinking is actually supported by the society because it doesn't hold men accountable. It supports men like boys will be boys mindset, creates boys that don't take accountability, mm -hmm. that don't welcome responsibility, that don't embrace the fact that they are not entitled to anything in the world. They're not owed sex. They're not owed anything. So it's, it, it, we gradually, it starts very, very young and it starts with what we consume. It starts with how our mothers hold us accountable. It starts with how our, how we talk between, um, young boys, between young boys. It's, and then that's where you get this very harsh expression in relationships where men are looking at their partners. Like I had a long day at work. Like you haven't done anything. I need, I need you to please me. I need you to make me happy. And so there's this disconnect between her humanity, her needs and like just seeing her, just seeing her as an individual, just seeing her as a human being. So in my own personal journey in celibacy helped me actually unravel that a bit deeper. And through that time, I was actually working on not watching and consuming any type of pornographic content. And that was an important part because I knew, I knew that I've been watching this content since I was about 14 years old. I can't deny that that didn't train something in me. Like the type of scenes that I chose to watch, the type of categories, what was going on, mm -hmm. that trained something in me, not just with my own personal body, but directly with women. And I had to be honest about that. And so in my journey, I had to begin to not only just embrace platonic relationships, but to watch my own unconscious agendas, my own shadows of how I operate in relation to women to possibly get a certain need met. And that looks as simple as, you know, I'm nice to her. I'm mm. treating her better than all these other guys. I deserve something for that. Like it's subtle. It's not as overt as like, I took you out to dinner, you know, let's have sex. Mm -hmm. It's as subtle as I'm a nice guy in your life. And all these other dudes are assholes to you. Like, why aren't you giving me that thing? And that perpetuates this concept of the friend zone, which actually encourages rape culture. Because it means that because you were nice to her, she had to treat you and like give you something. And now you're upset because she didn't want to match that. So you can't just be nice and a good man and treat a woman with respect without feeling entitled to something after that. It's ridiculous how we've trained ourselves to operate with women. And so rejecting male sexual entitlement is not only important for men to actually reconnect to themselves, which we'll talk about a little bit more about what it means to connect to yourself when you start to kind of embrace that I need to reject this idea. But it's important to just like, if you care, like if any man listening, if you care about women, if you care about women's rights, if you care about women's issues, this, you not addressing this type of messaging, you're perpetuating the same things that are happening to many, many women in marriages, in their life, in, in, in their relationships, 
in, in the world, their, their problems, their issues. When you talk about, you know, things that are laws being enforced upon their bodies, it starts with this, like these concepts and then gradually expands to, Hey, you know, you don't have a say in what you do with your body. It starts with this little idea that gradually grows and grows and expands. And, you know, you, and we can see how that, you know, naturally, naturally starts to create this other entitlement. Yeah. I think a big part of the reason I was so moved by hearing you speak to this, Jeremiah, is I have never heard a man acknowledge something that I don't think we as women, a lot of times have the words to articulate how this feels, but that there isn't authentic chivalry. A lot of times in any art of our relationships, a lot of times with men, it's that there's some sort of a transaction whatever um, kindness, whatever I'm doing for you, there's some sort of an exchange a lot of times and that there's an incredible amount of safe, lack of safety in that. And I can't tell you, and Vanessa and I've talked about this on the podcast before, how many women have talked to me um, about the number of times that they have gone into the bathroom and cried after sex because I've done this because I have to some part of us on a soul level knows that this is not supposed to be this mechanical function that we, you know, go through the motions feeling nothing, but when it's not about us and we can feel that it's not about us when it's just sort of like a way for a man to self-regulate, it makes mm. us feel mm. so unbelievably objectified. I think in a way that we don't have the language for and really, mm. um, violate it ultimately yeah. Yeah. and yeah. fucking yeah. angry. <laughs> Yeah. 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 It's, um, it hurts, you know, it hurts, um, to hear, um, you know, personally knowing, you know, I have a mother, I have a sister and I'm like, wow, like I have a partner. I'm like, wow, that level of entitlement just to think of myself, uh, being conditioned to think that was okay to objectify and reduce women to objects, to reduce women to, you know, responsible for my sexual duty, um, for my sexual needs, um, if that's their duty. And, I think as well, there's a, there's an, a, there's a component there that is both personal. There's one that's societal. There's one that's cultural. There's one that's collective, but there's also one that's ancestral. And so that imprint stays with, let's say me as a man, but also women as well. And that imprint is that men for years have felt some level of entitlement over women's bodies. And that has been in the shape of Kings looking to their wives and saying, you have to birth me, they're concubines, you have to birth me a son. It's an entitlement mm -hmm. over her womb and her mm -hmm. decisions. And if she didn't birth that son, she had no value. Mm -hmm. She could be disposed of, and he would have to grab another one, another wife, another concubine, another servant or slave until he was birthed his son that would be his heir to his throne. And so this is like an ancestral imprint that is laid on top of my understanding as a man, but also women's relationship to their own womb and what they present to their partners. And so it was a big conversation for me and my partner to have where I was like, you know, you have the complete freedom to decide whether you want to like have children or not. Like, I'm not going to place any pressure on you to do that. And it was so, I didn't realize how much that impacted her because she didn't even think she might have the freedom to say that. Mm -hmm. And I was like struck and I was like, what do you mean? And then it unfolded more of this understanding of how like there's such an ancestral imprint for thousands and thousands of years over men really just looking at women like you are a birthing machine. Mm -hmm. Like give me, this is just not the, just the sexual entitlement piece, but like, the, the, the entitlement to you have to birth me children that I can raise and like continue my legacy, continue to strive for uh, immortality to some extent. And you're my portal to that sense of immortality or that idea of legacy, you know, and that shows up in, you know, athletes today wanting sons so they, those sons can be the athlete that, you know, they never were or, you know, live their lives through their children, but they need, you know, the woman to kind of support them in that. Um, and so there's this huge, huge disconnect. You know, there's a huge disconnect just between our needs, like what we actually need. And we can talk about that a little bit more. Like men aren't actually in touch with what they, what they actually need. 
And can you say more about that? Like you talk about this idea that like I need sex and the myth of that. Will you say more about that? Because that to me is important. (laughs) Well, and that's a topic that I'm like I'm having currently with clients and my own relationship, like the, the disconnection, it seems between the, no, but this is just what I need. It's a high priority for me. I am a sexual person. I'm a sexualized being. I need, need, need. And it's like very grabby, even in the energy around it. And to sit mm. on the receiving end of that as a woman, even if I'm like talking to couples to be able to articulate to a man, like, but here's the thing, even biologically speaking, it's been proven that men need sex no more than women need sex. It's been proven, hands down. So it's got to be socialized. It's got to be something that's trained into us because biology has squashed the idea that there's some kind of difference between men and women and that men are just more sexual, right? So yeah, I'm just Mm. curious to know kind of what your thoughts are on this need topic. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously, you can tell it's a hot one, I think. Feel the energy. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I mean, it's real though. We were like, we swear, like we'll die on the hill for it. It's like, no, we, our sex drive is just different. Like we just, women just don't care about sex that much. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, like we, no. we, we have the same sex drive, bro. I just don't feel safe with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and so I think it's it, like you said, it's, it's, it's socialized. It's conditioned into us to feel that we need sex. And I think that starts with how we relate to our emotions and our emotional needs and our need for emotional closeness, nearness, and connection with others. And so at an early age, when we actually learn to sexualize those emotions, such as maybe my anger, and then I'm like, okay, I need to have sex or consume some content to release this anger. Or maybe I feel sad and I'm like, well, I guess I have to have sex to maybe soothe through this sadness. Or maybe I'm grieving and I'm hurt and you know, you watch a lot of men. I know a lot of men that are grieving from past relationships and what they do is just start casually dating and having sex. But it's instead of processing what's actually happening inside of their bodies, they've only known to see that emotion and to find a way to sexualize it. And the reason is because it's actually easier to sexualize an emotion to eroticize my pain than to actually feel the depths of it. So I've just learned to eroticize it rather than actually meeting what's underneath that. And so if my emotion is anger and that's the only one I know how to access, I'm going to sexualize that emotion and, you know, take it out on my partner through sex so I can maybe feel powerful for the sadness that's actually underneath my anger, the grief or the sense of hopelessness that's actually beneath my emotion. So then sex becomes a way for me to actually soothe and regulate through my own inadequacies now. But I'm sexualizing my emotions because I don't have the skill set to actually deal with them. So as men, we have to expand, like literally diversify our emotional, how we, how we receive emotional connection. Because we've only been trained that emotional connection can only happen like the ones that you can normalize and accept, that's not going to make you feel less masculine. The only ones that you can allow yourself to receive are in sexual experiences. And that means we also block ourselves out from receiving emotional connection from other men. Like the men we surround ourselves, our brothers, our closest friends, like we block, there's a whole world of possible emotional needs met, like possible physical, gentle, platonic touch that could like meet a genuine human need that we have, which is to feel close to other people. And how we feel close is through physical touch. Like a child will die if they don't receive physical touch, you know, throughout their, throughout their um, early stages of growth and development. So well, we deprive ourselves of that for the idea of not being man enough or this concept of being gay or feeling attacked for wanting that from other men. And so we have all of these fears of homophobia that are actually blocking us from connecting to the very thing that we need. But because of our own ideas around what it means to be masculine, we place this incredible burden on our partners to meet these needs, to meet all of these needs, like all of these needs. It's so sad because before we used to rely on a whole village to meet those needs. But now as a man, I rely on one person 
to meet all of those needs. That's insane. But we normalize it. And I look to her to help me process emotionally. I look to her to help me feel all of these things and to connect to these parts of myself. But where is my responsibility in that? Where do I take emotional responsibility for my longing for connection? Because it's not about sex. There's my desire there, of course. But beneath that desire is also a need for connection. But we just forget that part. It's like, oh, my desire. Yeah, I need physical connection. I need physical touch. I need to have sex. But there's, that's not always going to be the case. There's actually a genuine need for a connection. And I've only known how to feel connected through sexual experiences. So it's important for men to diversify their understanding of what it means to feel connected and how we go about receiving that from others in our lives. So let me ask you, Jeremiah, I want to... I don't know if this is a curveball or a kind of digression, but it is something I'm working with a couple couples right now, actually, um, where like kink is involved, right? Open relationships are involved. And as a therapist, one of my kind of biggest roles uh, in somebody's life is to provide a non-judgmental space, right? Somebody to witness them and not judge them. And so I have zero judgment for kink. I'm, I'm very much like you do you, whatever that looks like, as long as it's consensual, I don't give a shit. Right. And that's not me like putting on a therapist act. That's like genuine, but I am wondering what your thoughts are or if you have thoughts around the idea of kink, right? Because some people, and I've heard this argument, um, from some of the couples I'm working with where it's like, okay, if we're not talking about like, I, I expect sex for my partner to meet a need, but if I'm just saying, but I like this certain type of sex, right? Like this, this is my kink, whatever the specific kink is. And that partner does not like it, can't give it to me. So I need to go out and find it somewhere else because this is my sexual expression. This is the kind mm -hmm. of sex that I want to have or I want to experience. What are your thoughts on that? Because I, I'm holding, I suppose, the tension of non-judgment. Everybody's got a kink. What is it? You know, what is yours? with um and also can you have this kind of loving intimate relationship with a partner um and then still go out and get this quote-unquote kink met somewhere else i don't know if i'm articulating that right no no it's perfect it's perfect it's a great question because i mean it comes up a lot in relationships um and i think it's coming back to what we talked about earlier is about how we eroticize our wounds mm -hmm. you know every kink can be pointed back to a painful traumatic experience you know, when even if you watch the movie Fifty Shades of Grey and you look at what he's into and then you look at his first sexual experiences with women, you're like, dude, you've been eroticizing your pain. And again, it's easier. It's actually easier to eroticize our pain than to actually feel the depths of what's going on. And again, it's a way that the body or the child's whatever aspect of us is attempting to redeem or master whatever we experience before so if that's the emotion of feeling powerless then i'm going to actually consciously create this experience for myself to overcome it then the pain doesn't feel so painful because i've actually set myself into a space where i'm powerless or the dynamic is happening again and this time i'm the one in power or i'm the one controlling the situation or i'm the in the seat of the one that abused or harmed or harmed me but it's a way in which I believe I can redeem my childhood. It's an attempt to redeem an aspect of myself that's actually destructive. So this isn't the case for all kinks, but people need to be honest with themselves. When I look at the energetic imprint of what has transpired in my life, how can I look at the connection between that and what I crave and what I desire and what I identify as my own kink in my personal intimate relationships? If there's a connection there and I haven't explored that, then how much of this can really be authentic and genuine for me is really the question. Mm. Because when we're not exploring our past, mm. we don't actually have a choice in what we're doing today. Mm. The past is choosing for us. I don't actually have a conscious decision in what I'm doing right now. My past is choosing for me. So if I don't take the time to explore what has transpired that has led me to create this desire in my relationships, then I can't actually say that this is a thousand percent authentic and genuine for me. But if I go through that journey and then I come back and explore this again and it still resonates, 
then I can trust myself in knowing that I actually chose this. Like, this is not me trying to reenact the trauma. It's not me trying to redeem my child self. It's not me trying to get back on my abuser. This is like actually genuine for me. This is actually fills me the fuck up. This actually makes me feel alive. This is actually how I like to connect with other people. Like when I can come to that place, then hell yeah, I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to welcome it. I'm going to invite my other partners to meet me in that need. But we have to do the deep work. We have to evaluate our past experiences and how they may be shaping what we're attracted to, you know, because attraction is made up of a bunch of things. It's not just this. It's like what that represents to your past self. Like that could represent a hit, emotional hit that you get from feeling that way. Mm -hmm. And that shapes your attraction to that type of person or that type of situation or that type of desire. So I think, you know, with everyone, it's important to just peek into our past. Like what has transpired that there's some similarities. I can see some similarities here and, you know, and I got to be honest about that. It's really about being honest with ourselves, you know, and being gentle at the same time because, there's a, there's, there's a young part of, of us in there that's just trying to do the best they can do with the information they have. And I think people listening who might be going, oh, but I don't see an exact moment in my life where, you know, <clears throat> this thing that's now showing up for me is kink. Like, oh, there wasn't a time in my life, like, let's say I was, um, I was sexually assaulted or something and now I'm taking back the power. It doesn't need to be that black and white, right? It could be, <laughs> let's say having a mother who frequently dismissed or invalidated your emotions, right? Or, or your big emotions and constantly had, you had to squash it. You had to be demure. You had to be small, right? And so then you go out and you continually put yourself in situations where you're allowed to be big and take charge and be loud and, and be controlling, right? So when we do this work of going into our history, we have to understand that it isn't apples to apples always. It, it's a little bit more nuanced than that because I think in my experience with clients, that's where the trip up is, is like people go, oh, well, I was never raped or, oh, I was never in this traumatic situation that that would lead me to this kink. And I say, well, but let's talk about the emotional, the very slow mm -hmm. emotional trauma, which some might say lowercase mm -hmm. t trauma, right? That might mm -hmm. lead to this obsession or this like desire for this kind of connection in this kind of way. Right. Yeah. 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 It's super important. And you'll always notice the reoccurring theme. Like the themes are always going to be there. If it's, you know, like you're talking about that level of invalidation, that's a theme, like just constantly being emotionally mm -hmm. invalidated. That's a theme. If you can see that reoccurring, then there's, there's something for you to explore there. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. I love that response Jeremiah. And I think what I love so much about your work is the invitation into the deeper inquiry and that episode about celibacy that, um, we were talking about, I don't know. I was so struck by how you talked about how celibacy showed you what a small percentage of what we actually are looking for in our partnerships is based on like our actual desires for ourselves versus a, our societal conditioning. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, something I struggle with a lot because I mean, certainly within myself as someone who was married for 11 and a half years and saw how much a lot of my own deeper work and um, integration and into my ability to sit through discomfort, I was able to sort of offload that onto my partner because I didn't have to, right? And I think there's a lot of ways societally we have really lost our sense of value in like spiritual solitude and mm -hmm. what come, you know, like even when people are single, they're dating every weekend, they have that release valve. Like very few people make the decision to learn how to sit in the discomfort for a while that mm -hmm. comes up with my own solitude, how to self-regulate through that. And I find that so often we're not actually in love with people. We're just attempting to maintain attachments. We're just attempting to self-soothe through lonely. maintaining this attachment to this mm -hmm. other person. And a lot mm -hmm. of times the way we're doing that isn't very loving. It's really controlling, right? Yeah. So I don't think it's just for men. I think for so many of us, there's value in, can I be by myself for a while? You know, and that doesn't mean without relationships, because a lot of times it's like, no, but people need relationships. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't always have to be sexual connections yeah. that doesn't always yeah. have to be that level of physical intimacy we can we can learn to relate in other ways and also be in relationship to ourselves right yeah 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 i agree so so much um especially with the piece around like solitude and being present with what's coming up for us 
And I think that actually opens us up to what you're talking about, like noticing how we actually outsource like our emotional needs, how we outsource our vital deep inner work by like jumping into relationships or calling that friend or spending time with that family member. It's a way to avoid the discomfort of what may be coming up for us. And I think of solitude, even for me on my celibacy journey, um, through that time, I just wasn't like connecting with women in, in that way. And I wasn't engaging in that way. And that actually created, like, I see it as more of like a, a rest, like a pause. Mm -hmm. And then in that pause of my activities, everything can actually surface. Because if I'm constantly doing, 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 engaging, 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 interacting and interacting, it's actually my attempt to run away from what's coming up. Mm -hmm. So my pause actually allows, if this thing is trying to meet me, it actually allows that thing to catch up to me. It's like catching up to me. I'm trying to run away from it by engaging, going into another casual relationship. I'm running away from it. But my pause, my slowdown, my, okay, let me spend more time with myself. Let me prioritize my self-care, all of these things. I'm actually giving a window for that thing to rise inside of my body to start to surface and to kind of inform me about what I may be avoiding or be in denial about. And, um, and so that period for me helped me really notice like the things that I was in denial about. I was like, oh, I'm like a huge <laughs> hardcore feminist. And it's like, bro, like you got all these like unconscious shadow agendas around the feminine. Like, bro, you gotta, you gotta polish that. You gotta, you gotta clean that up because this is not reflecting your values. Mm. And so if I kept engaging with women, if I kept going, you know, into these casual hookups, then no, I would have never saw that. I would have never allowed myself to even see that. So it's only in those spaces where I actually slow down, I pause, I give myself room to see what I might be avoiding. And most of the times, like you mentioned, our relationships, sometimes we see them as resources to meet our needs. Like we don't actually engage with people just as human beings most often. Like what we talked about as well, Vanessa, talking about this, like just this business, the business transaction between two people that's like very binary, that's very rigid and like has no depth of like soul and love and like authentic connection. And so what I find in that solitude and that solipsy, whatever doorway we choose, we can actually find a way to come to connections where we're not just focused on getting my needs met from the other person. I'm not also super hyper-focused on meeting that other person's needs. We can actually strike that balance between like how much of that can I prioritize and like where is that window where I fall into a space where I'm not super concerned with my personal needs and I'm not super concerned with that other person's needs, but I'm in the space of just authentically connecting. And that requires that kind of like that respite, that breathing area, that breathing space where we just give those things time to kind of settle and uh, we give ourselves time to see what we may be running away from too. There was a video that you um, recorded the other day that I wanted to ask you to speak on, which is something that Vanessa and I did a podcast episode about recently. Um, that's just coming up so much. Whereas women are really sort of reclaiming their power and stepping into a more authentic version of themselves. They're finding that one, it's really hard to find men that, um, I want to say like are attracted to that or able to meet them there. Um, but I think your video was sort of like, are men intimidated by men or women who are standing in their power? And I, I wanted to ask you to speak a little bit more about that because I feel like I'm hearing so many women, Jeremiah saying like, I don't like these, these men are like even like attempting to meet us in the ways that we're longing to be met. And so many women who are like sort of giving up on our brothers and just being like, yo, I've just been like opening up the apps to women because I feel like it's just really hard for me to meet men that I have the depth of emotional connection that I'm mm -hmm. longing for. And I'd mm -hmm. love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sucks. there's this crisis of faith in men's evolution right now. Uh, just cause how men are showing up them. and like the, yeah, it's, and it's, and it's sad, you know, I, I hope I <laughs> represent some kind of hope. You do, you do, you do. You're carrying the flag. <laughs> we need you to like start a university. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just right. hang out outside after class. <laughs> 
today will. Yeah. Today we'll hang out outside for class and collect <laughs> the men. Thanks, Mom. Thanks. My sisters are like, where are the men? Like, Jeremiah. Sorry, continue answering But yeah, it's, you know, there's this definitely crisis of faith and um, in men right now. Um, and so I think it makes it very difficult for women that are embracing their fullness, like claiming their fullness, have like embodied this level of agency and power and also have liberated their no, like are capable of saying no, are capable of setting boundaries and guilt may arise, but they're capable of actually soothing through that guilt and not overriding their conscious decisions. And that is very frightening to a lot of men, especially men that come with agendas of control and you know, manipulation and getting their needs met. So this comes back to also the other conversation we were having around, you know, entitlement. Like when you're with a woman that actually is conscious of her own power, she has no tolerance for your entitlement. You know, my partner definitely didn't. She helped me see where there was still entitlement. And it's, that's what I need. Because again, you have to ask yourself as men, where am I on my journey? Like, am I ready to step into my power? Am I ready to evolve my definition of masculinity? Am I ready to evolve as a man? Who's going to support me in that? The passive, sweet, nice girl that constantly tends to everybody's needs? Possibly not. But if I don't want to do that work, then that's who I'm going to be attracted to. That's who I'm going to want. And if I meet a powerful woman, I'm going to try to control her or bring her down to the point where she becomes that type of woman. So I'm going to be intimidated by anything that can challenge my understanding of myself, my self-image, and even by my belief systems. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's men that are really just afraid of embracing what that journey is like, because it's not an easy one. When you choose to be with an empowered woman, an embodied woman that is conscious of her power, she will bring you to your fucking knees. <laughs> Like, no, and I'm not playing at all. Like, with (laughs) With love, love. (laughs) with love for sure. (laughs) With love for sure. My partner has brought me to my knees a lot of times, a lot. (laughs) So it's, it's, (laughs) (laughs) so it's, it's, it's deep, deep work. Like you're really now getting into the trenches. I feel for myself before this relationship, all the other stuff I done was actually like preparing me for this. Mm-hmm. Like all of those things that I glimpsed into, looked at myself, did in my own individual time was actually preparing me for this. Like this is now my real initiation, you know? And so for men have to, you, it's just about being honest. Where am I at on my journey and what am I ready for? And it's not, it's not about women. It's not about them being too much. It's not about them being too intense. It's not even about them being too masculine, whatever that fucking means. Um, having opinions, having like a voice, having an ability to say no and set boundaries doesn't make her too masculine, makes her empowered, makes her a fucking human being that mm-hmm. honors herself. So understanding where am I on my journey, like, and what's going to help me progress, what's going to help me evolve and grow as a protector, as a provider, as a man, as, as, as a good partner, as a possibly great husband and father, like that's a woman that really, really is confident in herself and is capable of looking at me and saying, hey, you're not really showing up in the way that I know you can, right? I'm not going to passively allow you to avoid accountability. I'm not going to passively allow you to feel entitled to me and my body and my decisions and choices. I'm not going to let you think that that's leadership, bro. Like I'm going to bring that to your awareness and I'm going to expect you to be open to my feedback as well. Mm-hmm. Like that's a woman that's actually going to support you in becoming the man that you know you're capable of deep down beneath all of that, you know, the the, the bullshit. That's the man, you know, you're capable of becoming. That's the man, you know, you are destined to be, but you have to be ready to accept what that's going to look like when you're faced with a woman that also sees that in you. I'm glad that you put words to that because I was going to actually ask you, I can feel a curiosity arising in myself, which usually means in the collective around tangible examples of how in your relationship, for example, your partner might have brought your attention to some of these things, right? Because I think that a lot of women, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm generalizing myself being a woman, but also a lot of the clients I've worked with struggling with mirroring back or providing feedback to their partner without it coming across as 
finger pointy, uh, co- you know, controlling, kind of naggy. And I mothering. think they're mothering. Thank you. And that's actually a really good segue to it because I know we want to talk about that a little bit. But you gave a couple examples, which thank you for that. I mean, do you feel like that is a way of communicating that comes more naturally as a woman the more you do the work of kind of reclaiming and stepping into this power? Or do you think that... This is a big question, I guess. I don't even know how to articulate it. It's like, I feel like so much of the way we communicate as women is socialized. This like mothering type of resentful, finger pointy type of communication. It's done from a place of like lashing out, a place of feeling like you're cornered, like you have no other way. Um, And I think the way that you described your partner is opposite of that. And I'm just, that was a long, I guess, roundabout, but I'm wondering what your thoughts are on women stepping into that kind of communication with their partner, right? Like, how do we get to that point where we can do that? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, great question. Um, I just had a workshop the other day uh, about supporting women and supporting men's growth and maturity. And a lot of the conversations we were oh, having. We, we know. Were around... We were talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was around communication. It was around like understanding the difference between mothering and enabling versus like nurturing and like holding him and seeing him in his greatness, but also knowing that he's capable of, you know, doing better. And so a lot of that was around just communication, like understanding how to communicate and how to bring these things forward. And it was for me, just an understanding of like how little we know, like how little we know how to communicate in a nonviolent way, how to communicate with gentleness that's imbued with patience and love. Like it's not an easy thing to do. We have very, very few references in our own personal lives. Like my partner has no references in her own personal life. Her mother does not know nonviolent communication, neither do mine. So coming to relationships with that understanding, with that level of humility, like I don't know how to do this thing any better than you do. And what I loved about something bell hooks has said which is that women are under the impression that they know how to love better than men because Mm -hmm. they're conditioned and socialized to be caretakers so it actually gives you this impression that because i caretake to people because i know how to hold and process and feel emotions that i actually know how to love better than him and so in relationship it's actually coming with a level of humility that just because you are socialized and and have an understanding and these traits were supported, right? Not shamed in you embodying that and learning that doesn't mean you know any more about love, connection, deep intimacy, and how to create that in your relationship than he does. And so coming to the relationship with that level of humility creates this openness in both people of let's figure this thing out. Like let's work together. And so for me and my relationship with my partner, we open up the, 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 the chalkboard and we're like, well, how did that sentence structure land on you? Well, I feel vilified. I'm super upset at you. And I feel like you just made me to be a bad person. I'm like, damn, okay, back to the drawing board. Let's figure this thing out. I guess that didn't work with you. Let me figure that what works for you. Like, let me try that out next time. And then maybe that still leads her to feel like she was made wrong. And then I try again. Mm-hmm. And then it's the same for me. I'm like, you know, that didn't feel loving at all. I, I get what you were trying to say. I, I can see the essence in that. And I want to work on that. And at the same time, like you sharing that in that manner just does not land with me based on my trauma background, based on my history, based on my own insecurities and inadequacies. It just doesn't land well with me. Like, let's polish that and let's work on it together. So that is really like the most practical thing I can share is just knowing that you don't actually know this more than he does. Mm-hmm. Like just because you read more books than he does on this relationship stuff and he reads more books on business, it doesn't mean you know any more than he does. Like how many models have any of us had? So that level of humanly creates the possibility of learning how to nurture and moving from the mothering, moving from the fixing mindset, because it's about, wait, I'm just as a student here as he is. And that's going to be expressed in your communication. That's going to be embodied in your communication. But it starts with that, okay, we're, we're a team. We're learning how to do this together. 
and I'm here supporting him and he's here supporting me as much as, as, as I am, you know, I haven't had this modeled and neither has he. And, um, I think that really sets the relationship up for success. And that really sets the man up to feel like he's capable of making the woman happy. He's capable of pleasing her and he's capable of showing up because if he's coming in and he's hearing all of this stuff about where he needs to improve and she's constantly sending him Jeremiah's post and that real that is shared, <laughs> he's like, bro, I can't catch a fucking break. Like, like I'll, I'll, I can never make her happy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, damn. And he feels defeated. He shuts down. But if there's that openness of like, hey, we're working on this, this, this is, we're both here together. And I just read something that Jeremiah posted. Are you interested in reading it with me? Mm-hmm. Like, let me share what that sparked for me. And maybe you can share what that sparked for you. And it's this team oriented mindset that actually eradicates any level of self-abandonment because you're not trying to get the person to do something for you. It's about supporting them and embodying a level of authenticity that you want for yourself. Like, I want to be more authentic. I'm tired of like embracing these rigid ideas of femininity, mm-hmm. right? As I unlock and unlearn that, I want the same for you. I want you to unlearn and, and, and free yourself from these rigid ideas of masculinity. So it's two people supporting each other and becoming more authentic. It's not about one person. I'm super authentic. I already get it. I'm going I'm to help you out. I'm going to come down from floor 130 to meet you at floor five. And help you get it. No, no, no. We're we're both here. Like, let me let me support you and let, let, support me in being more authentic. And it's a it's a conversation. It's an ongoing conversation. Ooh, that is powerful to hear. And I think a lot of women, myself included, I need to let that sink the fuck in. <laughs> yeah, and I think that certainly I the last few years of my life have been deeply humbling for me as a woman in the way that you're speaking to. Um, and I think that there's a need for that and a need to, what I find a lot of times is, well, a couple things that I think we don't understand about men. You just spoke to what I have seen in the men that I work with, which is this like deep, um, desire to give to the feminine, to like, you know, to like be seen as someone who can hold space and give to you. And I think Mm -hmm. we're so trained as women to not receive that um, we're like, we need to be handling it. We need to be like fixing this. And that's like, couples will come to me and the woman is like asking for all these things and then won't receive them. Right. Like won't, Mm. won't receive from her man, but I know he can't. So, and it's like, okay, well, (laughs) what are we going to do if you're not even willing to be open to the possibility Mm -hmm. of him stepping into this? And I think it's, a little bit meeting your partner with the most generous interpretation, but also like mm-hmm. seeing the like higher version of who both of you can be and like letting mm-hmm. that be the North star versus, I don't know what this has historically been is the only thing that's possible. Right. Well, that's the yeah, ownership yeah, piece. Yeah. Right. I mean, we got to like, I, I think, you know, Danae, you and I talk about this a lot. It's like this, this moment in time that we're in where a lot of this is like, you know, we are like man bashing. A lot of us are. And um, I think a lot of women need to actually turn the focus and the attention back on themselves and say exactly what you just said, Jeremiah. It's like, where can I notice in myself where I'm not being authentic, where I am self-abandoning, right? And I need to do the work around that because me standing up on my high horse and finger pointing is not getting me what I actually need at the end of the day. It's doing the opposite, really. It's just creating a bigger schism, a bigger, you know, rift between the two of you. And so I do think a lot of us, um, a lot of us women need to be doing a little bit more, more work around that. And I think We've taken initiative as far as reading of the books and and following of the Jeremiah's, but I do think that next step (laughs) is really what you were talking about, which is like owning how I show up in my relationships, not just the level of like cognitive knowledge that I have Mm -hmm. around relating. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so, so important because there's this natural inequality that's actually expressed in relationships, especially if we're talking about heteronormative, heteronormative tone around that, because these attributes of nurturing, of emotional awareness, intelligence are supported like in women to embody, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but patriarchy discourages that in men, men are wired to feel shameful for that. 
So as a result of living in a world like that, there's a natural inequality that's in the relationship mm -hmm. and certain aspects of himself that he's learned to cultivate and strengthen. The woman might not have that. So there's these inequalities that are present throughout the whole relationship. Even when you go spiritually and a woman's connection to the earth, she has a whole womb that keeps her in touch with the moon, the cycles, the rhythms of the earth itself. Mm -hmm. We don't have that. So there's all of these inequalities that are actually natural, but they don't have to breed domination. They don't have to breed mm. subjugation. They don't have to breed, I'm better than you. I know more than you. I'm more capable than you. And that's also for men. Like I, just because I do this and I provide and I have a certain understanding in the business world, that doesn't have to breed domination. It doesn't have to breed subjugation of other people. And the only way we actually do that is by, Bell Hooks talks about it, is the the kind of like the antidote in a way to this inequality is mutuality. And so that means that we actually come to the relationship with a mutual respect, despite the inequality that exists, mutual commitment to seeing the fullness and the wholeness of each other and our humanity, mutual trust, mutual devotion, mutual accountability. And that is the aid towards this inequality. And so that way, both people, because both people are capable of it, of exercising patriarchy on one another, exercising domination on one another. So, but it depends on what lens are we viewing ourselves from. If I feel this person is not my equal, then that's how I'm going to show up. Mm. Like that's how I'm going to show up. Even if it's in the emotional realm, you're not my equal. I'm yep. far more emotionally intelligent. That's how I'm going to show up and I'm going to dominate them. I'm going to mm. subjugate them. I'm going to, I'm going to essentially, you know, it's, it's going to be an abuse of power. Because in that realm, I have power that maybe that person doesn't, mm. but I'm not going to abuse that power, right? By nitpicking, by dragging them to the point where they have to face themselves. Mm -hmm. I can actually source that power from inside and that's going to require me to actually be led by love. And so in this, I'm actually supporting not just this person and receiving that, but I'm supporting myself and becoming a better version of myself. And that's what the point of the relationship is. It's to actually help me be a better person. And if I can open myself up to that possibility, then I, despite whatever happens with this relationship, I'm, I'm growing, I'm evolving as a person, as a human being, you know, and that starts with that mutuality piece because the inequality is going to be there, mm. you know? Ooh. And once again, I feel like we could just rattle off so many more questions for you, Jeremiah, um, and maybe part three. But, you know, <laughs> I have regular so series. messages to say. <laughs> Jeremiah's series on Cheaper Than Therapy. But I do. I think, um, I think you have shown certain gifts for a very specific reason at this moment in history. And I think the way you are showing up in leadership is such a gift. And so I really deeply appreciate you, brother. And thank you for coming on and just sharing all of your abundance of wisdom. Um, keep showing up the way you do. It's it's such a gift to all of us, truly. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dene. Um, Yeah, it really warms my heart to receive and hear from you and, uh, and the invite as well to be here and share space with both of you. I really, really appreciate it. If you guys haven't listened to the other episode, please do. It was also amazing. Um, Jeremiah, where can people find you just in case they haven't listened to that other one? Uh, so you can find my podcast on all platforms and the podcast is Gates of Perception. And you can find my website at byermios.com. And that's where you can find out more about what I'm offering, upcoming workshops, upcoming events, private online communities that I have where I have these discussions with people in my private community, healers, entrepreneurs, facilitators, people doing in deep work. Um, so you can find that at my website at byermios.com. And if you haven't already, follow me on Instagram, my TikTok, uh, my Twitter, all under byermios. All the things, byermios. <laughs> so yeah. Love oh, so appreciate you. I have lots of wheels turning for the day and I, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com